I'm saying hello, hello to the team, to everyone who's returned here. And uh, and I, I do believe it's every single one of you who listened to the last episode. You've come back. I just know it in my heart and soul. I'm so excited to have you here. This is fresh. You've returned to So What If I Sound High, otherwise known as So What If I Sound British, just a little bit. I am joined today by another special guest. And I will switch out of this now because he really deserves like he deserves the best in the world. And this accent does not fall under that category, does it? It's Actually, it's all. pretty good. It's pretty good. It's barely decent on a good day. I, you know. <laughs> but it's mostly offensive. I, I was tempted to meet you there, but I was like, not the first time. Yeah, no, no, no. Well, listen, this is the kind of, uh, you know, banter that we have. We can gut each other immediately oh. out the gate. Meet me there. It's fun at, at the gate. Exactly. Um, all right. So everyone here, he is, this is Jordan coming to you, not live and direct, but you know, he's here and I'm hype about it. Jordan is a friend of mine from back in DC and absolutely brilliant in every way. You know, there's like lots of different types of intelligences and this man ticks off the box on nearly all of them. Also hella funny. So I'm really excited to have this conversation today. Why don't you say hi to the people, Jordan? Hi, people. I'm Jordan. Jordan I do my best. I do my best. I don't know just yet if we're going to be releasing this as a video podcast or as a uh, just as an audio. But I need you to right at the top of this episode to come out. And since they might not be able to see you, I want to clarify that I don't mean that I want you to come out as a black man or as a gay man. I need you to come out as something else (laughs) entirely. Why don't you go ahead and uh, let the people you, know you, about this special identity of yours? <laughs> fine. I'm a Black Republican. Wow. Boo. Immediately. Oh, my God. Immediate boo. Immediate boo. Do not turn off the episode. They're going to hate me. I'm going to hate <laughs> me. Oh, God, I hope. Terrible comments. All the things. Right off the top. Jordan <laughs> is a Black Republican. And uh, have been. Always. I have never been anything but a Republican. And you, you hear he's saying it from his chest. So we're, we're mean, really... it's true. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about that truth then, because you were you were starting to get into a little bit about, I guess, kind of the the classification of a Republican. Uh, so tell us more about why on God's good green fucking earth you would ever identify as a black Republican and and maybe why you feel like uh, some other people might not agree with that that term. OK, so. By today's standards, I would say that my version of republicanism isn't republicanism. Okay. And only because the current iteration of the Republican Party is batshit crazy. When you say current iteration, just to, to specify, what's, what's like the timeline of where you feel like things went left with Republicans, at least left in terms of like why you identified with them? Well, personally, I identified with Republicans because all of my favorite historical figures in America, at least, uh, were my three biggest ones were all Republicans. And a lot of them had ideas that I really, really liked. Um, Say more. And that, that? That, so like one of them is Thaddeus Stevens. He was, I love Thaddeus Stevens. Like he had all the right ideas about what we were supposed to do with the South after the Civil War. I was like, yes, 
do that. Uh-huh. Let's do that. He like, he impeached the president because he was like, oh, so you think you're going to mess up reconstruction? Nah, boo-boo. Nah. I got, <laughs> like, he came at it like, I was, I'm here for that. Like, yes. Thaddeus <laughs> sounds like someone who would say, nah, boo-boo. Uh-uh. Nah. <laughs> that sounds just <laughs> like, like a Thaddeus. Like, I, I really like Thaddeus Stevens. Okay. Theodore Roosevelt. Okay. Yeah, I like Teddy Roosevelt. He was very big on breaking up barons and monopolies. So I was here for that. He also kind of gave you the EPA. So there's that. Sure. And then Dwight D. Eisenhower, because he was efficient. He was effective. He railed against the military industrial complex. He was for foreign alliances. He was a very progressive, but reasonable Republican. And that's how I would define myself. Like I'm a progressive Republican. Like I don't fight the future. I embrace it. I just think that we should take measured but deliberate steps towards it. What do the facts say? What should we do? What's the smartest way to do it? Do we need to blow $300 million on this? Or can we do this a little bit more efficiently? You know what I mean? Like I'm big on that. Like do what works. All right. So the reason why you've made the decision to give your life to Christ and uh, to be be a Republican has to do with, you know, the people that you've looked up to. uh, Yeah. I've admired it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And And, and also the freedom and liberty for the individual piece of this. It's all right. Okay. I I want the, the, I want people to prosper individually so that we can prosper collectively. And I, I want the rules to make sense for everybody. That's ultimately is, is where that is. And hilariously now, that's the Democrats. My problem with the Democrats is that they lose all the damn time. You have the demographics, you've got the messaging, you've got the statistics on your side, and you still can't win. Like, Okay, then let's talk about that, because I have my thoughts on why I think that happens. I'm sure you do as well, and I'm sure it's going to be maligning the Democrats. I had, I, had, I had thoughts. I was like, you know... <laughs> so talk me through that. Why, what do you think it is uh, about Democrats? Is it just blanket ineptitude or what? Why can't Democrats win despite having the overwhelming numbers on their side? Everything on your side. Everything is on the Democrat side. The problem is the electorate. You have to be reminded to vote every two years. You have to be reminded to vote. You have a two-year subscription to democracy. It's on auto pay. So if you don't pay your subscription service, you still have to pay for it. Not only do you have to explain that to Democrats, you also have to convince them that it's their account that's losing the money. What are we doing? doing? If Democrats voted 51% of the time in every election, you would have everything that you wanted every damn thing that you wanted. 51%. You don't even need to do it 60%. Just literally show up. Okay. Two points of challenging you you there. Number one, if we're going back to the numbers and we're looking at that electorate, no matter how much people maybe don't show up in the, the numbers that they could, enough of them have shown out and voted to push the Democrats over the top in terms of the popular vote. So that's one thing I would challenge on. Yeah, but that's just the popular vote. The problem is people think or have this misconception that Mm -hmm. the presidency is the most important office. It's not. The legislator is the most important office. They are all co-equal branches of government, but when you want something done, you have to go through freaking Congress. It's always about Congress. Mm -hmm. And when do you vote for Congress? Every two years. Every two years. Okay. Then four years for the presidency, six years for the Senate. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's a two-year incremental thing, and that's not even counting your local elections. 
You're mad at the federal level because you have this misconception that the federal government is an urgent actor. It's not. The federal government is designed to be an important actor and only act urgently in two situations, natural disasters and Mm -hmm. foreign threats. Those are the only two times that the federal government's going to be in that ass real fast. (laughs) Right. Every other time, your urgent actors are your local government. Our government works when you have a grocery list. And the closest local federal office to you is your representative. Go with a laundry list of things, say, these are the only things that you need to vote on, or these are things that I stand for, and go from that way. But if only 31% of the electorate is showing up, then the crazy 31% of of the people who have these bullshit-ass, crazy-ass, ridiculous-ass beliefs are going to keep electing people that think like them. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to change that because they're the people that are showing up. Okay. And I, I do hear that. Um, I guess my second point of challenging though, goes along with that. When you're looking at like the state level, my challenge would be to the point of like, to just show up. That's all we have to do. No, you have to be, you just show up informed. I'm not even getting into that. I'm talking about the fact that you can't just show up. There are so many hoops that you have to jump through. There's like these technicalities that are built into, they keep baking into these state elections to make it so that it's more difficult for people to vote. So it's not a situation where you can't just vote. I don't disagree with that. I absolutely don't disagree with that. First off, I think that election day, federal election day should be holidays. Bank holidays. Obviously. You're telling me that this is the most important thing for my country. Mm-hmm. I should have the day off. Yeah. It should be a party every every election. Exactly. Every election should be like the 4th of July, basically. Right. And Agreed. And then also from a, super, a superficial, you know, America, we're awesome kind of perspective. The world should wait when we make our decision. Yeah, you are a Republican. <laughs> I mean, we, it should. I mean, like, come on. Come on. America's talking. Shut up. You wait. The the single thing that is exceptional about America is our level of delusion around Uh, our exceptionalism. Listen, listen, I am not saying that America is perfect. We're not perfect, but we are the cool kids. We are absolutely the fucking global cool kids. We are so the global cool kids. That is, yeah, that's a great way of putting it. You know why? Because the cool kids then grow up. And they're the ones who end up at home, not doing a goddamn thing. Whereas like the ones who were the nerds and the ones who were ostracized and the one who were smarter than everybody else ends up getting the jobs that are like actually making a difference. The ones who are really out here doing the damn thing for themselves, blowing by the people who used to be the cool kids. We are absolutely the cool kids. It's a great analogy. We need to like, one, we should be leaders, but two, I legitimately believe that we are the best stewards for global liberal democracies. I don't trust any other country to promote values the way that America promotes values. Because like, yeah, we don't live up to our values. Absolutely. We have a ton of shit that we need to work on. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, the appeal of America, the soft power appeal of America is the cornerstone to our power. Like even when we're talking about the things that make us so interesting, the what makes us cool to the rest of the world, well, mm-hmm. a lot of it is black culture, if we're being honest. Like Duh. what we 
What was like we, we, what we export to the world? What people see when they say, "Oh, I want to go and I want to be Americans." Uh huh. It's us. There you go. Uh, there, a hundred percent. I went to Amsterdam and I was staying with this family, and they were absolutely lovely for a lot of reasons. Number one, probably for me, was that they fucking loved me. Just gobbled up everything I was saying. They thought that I was so funny, but they kept saying like over and over again. They were like, "You're so American," and they would say that when I was saying the blackest shit of my life. So it was, I was. <laughs> like literally at the end of the trip I was like I think you're just calling me black <laughs> and I was like I'll take that you know what I mean because they're right. saying like American like with a smile on their face not American with like full-blown disdain which is yes. a very different type of classification absolutely. so I think you're absolutely right that is an association and of- we own that we should own that yeah and because of that not only because of that but because of that we should be global leaders My problem is that now we are having a brain aneurysm because we can't get over color and hatred. Okay. Let me clarify that. I just want to like confirm I'm I'm hearing this correctly. You're saying that we should be the ones kind of leading the way because we have this, well, like marketability and, and appeal. Well, we have both the appeal and the right value set and the right look. Like who's, who's we? Because we, we got to be talking about different people. Because they're I'm, the Americans that I'm thinking of. Okay, you're looking at it from an internal perspective. Like mm-hmm. an internal, I'm in America, domestic politics and policies kind of perspective. Yeah. I'm looking at it from a global perspective. Because even the cool kids in almost every show, the cool kids got some at-home drama. It's always some shit at the cool kids. Yeah, you think they living it up, but really they daddy beating them, their sisters uh-huh. on drugs. Like, you know what I mean? It's a whole, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. That's, yeah. that's true for America. Like domestically, it's a shit storm over here. It's a jungle, a jungle of foolishness and hatred for no fucking reason. But mm-hmm. even still on a global stage, when mm-hmm. you look at us relative to the rest of these fools, we're the shit. We are the shit. America is the only place that you can go in the world that was founded to be this thing where everybody can go. The idea of it. Is it true that we, you know, you get here and they're awesome and we treat you equitably? Of course not. But the no. story is always better than the reality. Okay. And the story makes us like it makes us cool. That's why I wanted to make sure I'm making that that correct distinction without, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, what I am hearing is it's the story, it's the narrative, it's yeah. you know, it's the marketability of this idea. But in yeah. terms of the follow-through and the execution and the reality of shit that I mean we We actually look like the fools and you're looking at it I think from a a global perspective I don't know I I would challenge that I feel like the sentiment across the globe is more one of America has their heads up their asses and thinks that they're all that but in reality women don't even have rights to their own bodies That's true for a lot of the world though which part of the world the developed world because that's not true are we talking solely first world countries? Because you're mostly going to talk to the whites there. I mean, and if even, we're talking- Even places like Poland, Poland, we can't be gay. You know what I mean? Because right. Polish laws are draconian when it comes to the queers. For that to be a problem, it's a step backwards. The same thing with abortion rights. It's a step backwards now, but for a lot of the world, it's the norm. Ooh, look who's got sound effects now. We're moving up in the world. That was the sound of a record scratch. Had to toss that in because we need to take a quick little 20-second timeout on the court here, team. Because the thing with having a podcast is that 
for better or for worse, you get to listen back to all the things that you said. And sometimes they're a little crazy. Sometimes they're misinformed, maybe ill-informed, or maybe as is in the case for, for this particular part of the conversation, just not as fleshed out as you would like for it to be. And I realized that while I had a general idea about access to abortions throughout the world, I didn't know what the data actually looked like, and I felt that it would be an important note to add here. So I did some research on which countries have stripped away bodily autonomy from women, from people who have uteruses versus those who haven't, and uh, every country in between, and I found that the, the reality here is even more sobering than I thought, unfortunately. So the most up-to-date data from the World Health Organization breaks down the different levels of abortion access that are provided or allowed in each country. And uh, there are six different categories, essentially. So here's how those six categories break down. Number one, it's prohibited altogether, no matter what. Even in the case of uh, the person who's carrying the fetus, if their life is in danger, doesn't matter. They're just going to have to die. There are 25 countries that fall under that category. Number two is that there's no restrictions whatsoever. Shout out to every single one of these countries, of which there are 56 in the world. Then there is the third category, which is in the case of saving the life of the person carrying the fetus. 37 countries allow for that. The fourth category is to preserve the physical health of the person carrying the fetus. 71 countries allow for that. The fifth category is to preserve the mental health of the person carrying the fetus. 24 countries allow for that. And the last is on socioeconomic grounds. And 13 countries allow for that. Now, there are some countries that allow for a combination of them, with the most frequent combination that I saw being to preserve the physical health and then to preserve the mental health of the person carrying the fetus. Uh, and it's also uh, important to note here that the United States is the only exception in that our country makes decisions around abortion access on a state-by-state -state basis. So just wanted to toss out some of those figures there to make sure that we, uh, again, just flesh that out a little bit more uh, and give, give you a better picture of things just sort of by the numbers. So thanks for coming to my little mini TED Talk, and uh, let's jump back into the conversation. If we're looking at America and what you were saying about taking a step backwards, I would argue that it's not stepping backwards. It's just revealing the truth of who we are and who we've always been. The reality is that our country had this, you know, document, we kind of founded things based off of, and the alterations that we have made to said document have been really fucking minimal, and they've been intentionally vague so that they can be applied in such a way that actually limits freedoms as opposed to expanding them. That's my read on things. I don't disagree with your assessment there because it's true, but I would also, I would argue that the vagueness of a lot of these things is what kind of protects the freedom element of this because it's so vague. A lot of this stuff is vague enough to be interpreted and we have to decide at that time or repeatedly apparently that this is who we're choosing to be. Democracy, a living, breathing democracy, it's a fight all the time. Mm -hmm. You are always fighting against your own destruction. And I don't understand how people, I, I do understand, that's not true. I understand it because we haven't had to deal with it. We have grown up in a time where for all intents and purposes, we can do democracy on autopilot. Like it's been on autopilot. The greater, larger issues of our time or, or even this century were World War II, you know, and that was fairly early. The things that, that motivated American kind of identity were all 
jingoistic and war related. Mm-hmm. And I think for us, we haven't had to fight that much because things have been fairly decent. Yes, there is that complacency there when it comes yeah. to like our participation in this democracy. I think some of the complacency comes from a lack of knowledge. I think some of it comes from a sense of nihilism. I think some of it comes from disillusionment and some of it comes from fucking design. Again, they're they're building in these hurdles to make it difficult for us to actually participate across the board. And I think there's also the element of just growing up with it, which is to say we were conditioned to believe that things are working the way that they're supposed to work and that they are going to continue working the way that they're supposed to work. So we can have that sort of hands-off, like you said, autopilot. autopilot. But the thing is, we you, you forgot that if it's on autopilot, you still have to choose the pilot or the plane goes down. Yeah. Yeah, you got to trust the people in the cockpit or the yeah. plane falls and, that, and the plane is falling now. And, you know, to, to continue with the analogy while also circling back to what you were saying before in terms of like having that grocery list of, you know, what is it that we want to really focus on? Where is the plane going? What's the destination yeah. looking like? And we're looking at this situation with Roe v. Wade where it was able to be overturned despite the fact that like on a local and federal level, like zooming in and out, everyone everywhere wanted to have Roe v. Wade codified in law. So that was on the grocery list. And what these fuckers just forgot. Mitch McConnell didn't didn't break the rules by holding up Senate confirmations. Do you know what, guys? I think I like the sound of the record scratch as much as I like starting a podcast with this here accent. But I just need to jump back in because I'm sure that hearing Senate confirmations immediately induces sleep for some of you. And also that hearing Mitch McConnell's name might lead some progressive to start feeling a bit angry, myself included. So, um... Just, you know, in the interest of avoiding both of them things, we're going to gloss over the uh, the Senate reform portion of my chat with Jordan there. And we're going to cut right to the part where we uh, chat about conservatives feeling angry instead. All right, here we are. I saw a really interesting take on TikTok from some news anchor. I don't know. He's like a digital news anchor. Basically, what he was saying is that the loudest and the and the most angry of conservatives, the problem is that they are constantly pushing for taking away something from someone else, as opposed to pushing for the development of something else, the creation of something else, the improvement of something else. So, and he was making that point of specifically around like gun control and Roe v. Wade, because he was saying like, have, if you notice that these conservatives who are loud and angry when they get what they want, which is no gun control whatsoever, which is the overturning of Roe v. Wade and the stripping of uh, reproductive rights. When they get what they want, when Donald Trump is elected, they do not get any happier. They get more angry. And the reason that they get more angry, the point that he was making, is that fighting for taking something away from someone or denying someone something or stopping us from having our personal liberties over here as minorities, stopping people with uteruses from having autonomy over their bodies does nothing to put more money in your pocket so that you can pay your rent. Doing that does nothing to make it so that you have greater access to healthcare. Doing yeah. that does nothing to bring down your tax rate at the end of the day. It doesn't give you any you know, vouchers for daycare. So his major point was like, How does this help you? And it doesn't. And that's why you're going to keep being more and more angry when you ultimately are getting what you want. You know, like you got what you want and you're still out here raging against the fucking machine. 
negative messages work better than positive ones because people like to be mad. It's easier to sell a no than it is a yes. And so to your point, I got a couple questions for you. I'm very curious to know, what's the major change that you would make here structurally? Watching your first video, I didn't think that you should have offered suggestions because it was a thought experiment. It was, sure. you know, throw it out there, see what you get. But I'm totally down to brainstorm. And, and I'm, yeah. I'm curious, like, what would you say is the major institutional problems that you've observed in the country? And what particular, if any, solution do you have? Or what would you like to see? I think because what I would like to see is like, it would be, yes, a very radical thing to happen. But somehow we have to hit a critical mass of people who get just fed up enough to stop doing kind of life as we know it, who stop doing the day-to-day -day things that are keeping this culture afloat, but don't necessarily keep the country itself afloat. In other words, there are so many jobs that so many of us are doing that we have been doing that if we were to stop them tomorrow, there would be no discernible difference for real, for real in like the fabric of society. There are very few jobs and vocations in which if those people, if they all like Just en masse went on strike, that it would be felt on societal like macro level. If sanitation workers stop working tomorrow, everyone would have a problem. Yeah, but that's true. For, that's also true for Walmart market workers in most of America. I would challenge that. They're the largest employer in the country. If Walmart employees stopped going to work tomorrow, everybody would feel it because no, most people wouldn't be able to go grocery shopping comfortably. That's what I would challenge is like, is there access to what Other people thing. need from Walmart outside of Walmart? Walmart Absolutely. Yeah. But you're like saying utilities, basically water, electricity, exactly. stuff like that. If people stop doing that. The things where we've inserted a middleman with the interest of them being able to grab those profits from people. We can get food from somewhere else and we can get like good food. You know what I mean? Not like Monsanto food. Big farming, gotta go. We don't need it. Not only do we not need it, it is contributing to the death of our people and our planet. Unequivocally, producing things on a mass level is absolutely murdering our planet and therefore us. Then the question becomes, how do you feed everybody in time? Because the whole point of mass farming is to is availability. The uh, here. So the audio on this whole recording really just didn't want to let us be great, uh, but especially or in particular on that part. So I just want to clarify that right there, Jordan said, the irony abounds here. But exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. When you when this is the thing, you start saying shit out loud and it's like, well, wait a second. That's actually not true at all. We don't have access to it whatsoever. So when it comes to like figuring out the particulars of like distribution, yes, we would have to do that. And maybe if all of those Walmart workers who I'm sure plenty of them are fucking brilliant, had a little bit more bandwidth to be able to, you know, dedicate their brain power towards figuring that issue out that affects all of us, maybe we be, would be able to come up with more solutions because we're not siloing our people into doing jobs like working at a Walmart when our potential is so much greater than that. So that's me thinking on more of like a, you know, kind of, I guess, fantastical sort of, of level. Fine. Actually, to that point, to what I would reimagine the world as if we had to work with some semblance of this government as we have, have it currently, the first thing I would change is taking the money out of it. I would oppose you in this. Like how, well, okay, let me find common ground here first before I say I'll oppose you because <laughs> let's let, let me, let me backtrack. So 
you say you mean take money out of politics in general? Yes. Like, okay. So how do you, what do you do? You federalize the election system? So you just make it so that everyone gets the same airtime? Yes, exactly that. Okay. My question is ultimately, if we're going to have free and equal and fair elections, which is to say that like in the the lead up to that, the process Mm -hmm. has to be all of those things as well. To what end are we using something like money, which we specifically use to deny or give access to a thing? So as soon as you add money to the equation of politics, by definition, you are excluding some and allowing others only on the grounds of whether or not they have the money. I just, I think to your point about lack of access, I also think that there's also a lack of interest. It's like- People would prefer to be entertained more than informed, but then they wonder why their government is staffed by clowns. Speaking of your your people, like Candace Owens of the world. Oh my God, that woman. <laughs> I just, I don't know. And I might eat these words later, but I don't care because I haven't met them. I don't know a single female Black Republican, not necessarily conservative, but Black Republican that makes any lick of sense. Haven't found one. But you're telling me that you found, what, white and, and black men who have made uh, a lick of sense no, who are Republicans? No, no, no. But I just, I I guess my standards are higher for black women. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. expect, I know niggas ain't shit. Like, you, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? You ain't telling me nothing. But, <laughs> but like, it, it hurts more when it's a black woman. It just, it hurts more. I'm like, damn. Oh, I'm so glad you said that truth. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The expectation. Always higher. Always higher. higher. It's always like, like, damn. I think there should be a a limited series drama for all of Congress for every congressional session. It should be like West Wing in this bitch. We should hire people. Like we should hire like social media managers and documentarians. Hire Disney to give us a limited series every congressional cycle. And because that's what would make people want to be entertained. So let's make something boring, entertaining. And it would force you to pay attention because you're like, what is going on on this season of the 112th Congress? Yeah, I think that's, I, I tune in. Since motherfuckers like Ted Cruz like to talk so damn much, let's give you a reason to talk. We'll hire a whole bunch of gays to write the lines. It'll be great. With the right musical score, we can underscore like the gravity. It swells of the, at the right time. Yeah, All definitely. of it. All of it. It'll be fucking like chef's kiss awesome. They would like and subscribe. They would. All right. So we touched on a lot of things, but what we really want to get into now is a little bit more of the personal side of what we've been talking about with politics and whatnot, specifically around like you were asking about like navigating political differences in relationships, right? Because I was like, would you fuck a Republican? And you were like, I am. And I would fuck me. So great. (laughs) Next question. (laughs) Next question. What are we, what are we doing? <laughs> yes, I do um, love myself. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, I like that as like a, you know, kind of high level topic. Um, I guess I want to know to start off with, do you have any hard stops on who you would sleep with in terms of like their like political leanings? And do you have any hard stops on who you would date? Okay, thank you for that distinction. Uh huh. Yeah, I know who I'm talking to. I know exactly who I'm talking to. The rules are different. (laughs) (laughs) The rules are different because there are hard stops for dating. Fucking not so much. Like you're you're here for a a good time, not a long time. 
Yeah. So actually, you could be here for a long time if you want to be. But see, <laughs> it's a good time. Yeah, definitely. Good time. We could be here for a while. I'm down. But <laughs> but no, good time, not a long time. Um, that is not a conversation that I will typically have with someone who I am casually intimate with. You know okay. what I mean? It's, there's because it doesn't come up because it's a function. Most I mean, gay people, we are not a monolith, but I think there are some norms in the gay world. And excellent you know, way of putting it. Yeah, <laughs> like, but that said, there are like usually there's a four to five point conversation before we get to the, the nasties. Uh -huh. if, it's, if it's a just a physical thing, yeah, there's not enough room in here to to get to politics. Interestingly, though, since we are talking about it, mm -hmm. um, you do find, and I definitely have had situations with people who I have had relations with for a, a long time and then I realized that I don't particularly believe in their politics uh -huh. like just, you come to find out yes I do come to find out so okay. COVID was an excellent example of this so like there's a guy I, I deal with and uh, <laughs> okay <laughs> and physically grade A just chef's kiss all okay. checks all the boxes objectively on paper he's an awesome guy but then he was, then COVID happened and I realized that he's an anti-vaxxer. Oh. And I was just like, listen, I'm okay with you being an anti-vaxxer if I can respect your rationale. You know what I mean? If the people whose argument is, okay, you know, I just don't like being told what to do. I can respect it because it's a little principled. Science isn't on your side. But I'm, I'm definitely like, at least it's a principled stand. But he didn't really have a rhyme or reason mm. and I was just like I wish I wouldn't have known this we still gonna smash but I'm looking I'm gonna look at you differently now that is very interesting so that that is a situation where I could see having not asked too many questions up front yeah. one could quite literally fuck around yeah and, and find out you, you could quite literally fuck yeah. around we're on the opposite side of, of things of like you fuck around and find out because maybe mm -hmm. you don't ask those questions before the fucking portion of it. I mean, uh, because look, if the stats line up, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> listen, I am very much so more on that side of things, or at least I should say before I have changed a bit. I like to think that I'm like a little bit reformed <laughs> these days. Yeah, I meditate and shit like that now. And I'm uh -huh. not just trying to be out in these streets anymore. Uh -huh. But you know, that's I spent the majority of my adulthood acting like that like it, in a lot of ways i align much more with a gay man than i yeah, do yes you like, do yes yeah, yes you do. thousand percent but i will say in terms of those norms that you were talking about with you know women with lesbians with queer people who don't identify as men it's a different ball game and yeah. you're gonna find out all their things and their mom's things before yeah, because you're gonna move in next week exactly <laughs> you're not gonna fuck around until you find out okay and for us I might not even know your name until four years after this. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah, the anti-vaxxer. What's his name? I don't know. Anti-vaxxer. Yo, literally had that happen to me in the middle of going at it. Like we were going at it. And then we take a break and we're just laying there. He's like, so what is your name? And I'm oh like, God, <laughs> we have been at this for years mind you years you're like whose is it and he's like actually i'm not i'm not, not sure, so sure. I, I don't know who this belongs to <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, fuck. Uh, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's tough. It is. With lesbians, the stereotype uh, around that can be really, really, really. You're going to get into the details. You're going to be in the weeds uh, before you, you leave the club. You're going to be trading Zodiac signs and shit and finding out about their mom's trauma and all of that. Uh, so definitely politics is in there, too. It's funny because it doesn't often come up with me, particularly my political beliefs, probably because people assume that I'm just naturally progressive, which I am, I am naturally progressive. Uh When when asked how I identify, people are always like, what? But then the people who do know me are like, that makes perfect sense for you. Yeah, it it tracks for the way that you think, the way that you approach things. I look at you and think like quintessential moderate to be honest yeah. but i could definitely see see that i feel like it fits for you and if it if it fits it ships and now, speaking of if it fits back to this question about right dating. Now, dating, <laughs> yes like our politics don't necessarily have to align but our values do let me say that there we go okay it's like because the vision of the future that i want both acknowledges and, and encourages the prosperity of a polity You know what I mean? And all of the different identities and the different modes of life within that polity have to be part of the picture. Like my vision for the future, my vision for America is where you go, where everybody knows your name, but I should leave you to hell alone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is the happy medium for sure. For that to happen, our values have to be aligned. You know yes, what I mean? definitely hear that. Although I don't want to pretend like I know one of those words that you were saying, polity. Is that what you're saying? Polity just means community, P-O-L-I-T-Y. It's like a synonym for union or collective, I guess. In the mm-hmm. sense, like polity is more like diverse community. Is It's the one word that puts those two together hmm. in a way that, that also has a political kind of connotation. Okay. Love it. So uh, to actually go into a little bit more detail then around what you're saying of like, you need to have the same values at a minimum. Is there like a a specific hard stop for you? Like, I know that I could not date someone who wants to have guns in the home. Really? Fully. 100%. Because I don't think we should have guns. That's so, that's so interesting. I, I feel like I knew that about you, but I, I'm glad you reminded me. I would say no to that. I, I would say like hard, hard pass on, maybe I should say this, but I try not to speak in absolute. I would find it difficult to, to reach middle ground with someone who wanted, like needed to have a gun in the home. No, I can't say that I have yet to discover or be exposed to political hard stops with people that I date because typically the people that I date are more progressive than I am there are some quasi political leanings that are important but most of the time they come around on identity lines so like if I'm dating a white guy Mm -hmm. and every white person is related to some problematic white person Sure. And, and has, has been exposed to or breaks bread with someone fairly regular with problematic views. Uh-huh. You cannot be, when it comes to stuff like that, you can't be silent. I don't give a fuck if it's your mama, your daddy, your granddaddy. I don't care who it is or when they were born. If uh-huh. they have, you better say something to them before I do. Right. Like okay. that's, and that does not, and at no point should that have to be a conversation. Are you talking about like if stuff comes up specifically around race? 
just in any part of any part of the identities that we have. It's not just on racial lines, it's on any lines, because even with people of color, specifically Black people, there are a lot of anti-gay. Sure. I'm not, not homophobic anti-gay. You're not afraid of shit. You're sure. just against it. Yeah. So there are a lot of anti-gay, toxic Black people. And so if you think I'm a sit at a table with your mama and them and put up with their anti-gay bullshit, you got another thing coming. I don't yeah. they raised you. They didn't raise me. I don't give right. a damn about them. I don't, I'm probably not even going to their funeral. So what you <laughs> like what, what, you, what you mean? One thing I will might say, cause their funeral if they keep talking sideways. And one thing I will say about our generation, the good thing I love about the, the like millennials and generations below us, deferring is not happening. We are finished with deference. Yeah. Like respect is earned. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what you've been through, all, all the things. Don't care. You're going to respect me as a person. And if you don't, you don't have to talk to me. You don't have to deal with me. That's fine. But you got another thing coming. If you think we're going to break bread, like I don't believe in being nice. I'm a kind person, mm -hmm. but I'm not a nice person. Mm. Kindness is truth. Kindness is honesty. Nice is you let your uncle say fuck shit at the dinner table because you're just trying to have a nice meal. I don't want to have a nice meal. Why am I having a nice, a, a nice meal with someone who just denied half of my personhood? Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, that's, we're not doing that. That's dead. I don't care how good your mac and cheese is. One of my favorite people ever who's absolutely brilliant, Blue Tulusima, she breaks down the difference between being nice, being kind, and being compassionate with nice being performative kind being demonstrative and compassionate being authentic. And I love that. It's fantastic. And she, she's just, I can't say enough about her, but yeah, I mean, she breaks that down because it, there's so many things that we do in the interest of playing nice, of, of playing keeping nice, things right. kosher, but you know, you can be compassionate and have boundaries. Uh, say, exactly. No, exactly. I'm not going to deal with that. I'm not going to enable that, you know? And, yeah, that distinction, I think, is really super important. I, I totally feel you. And I do agree that generationally speaking, there is definitely a difference now in terms yeah. of like the patience around, you know, listening to people's, what was you said? Fuck shit. Yes. I, <laughs> yes. I believe the technical term is fuck shit. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it can't just be, I think that, you know, there is a time and a place for deference. Absolutely. I think in a Absolutely, lot of yeah. ways, we stand to learn so much from people who have been here longer than we have, you know what I mean? Uh, and yeah. I think that there's some ways that we need to give them more of a, a platform for sure. But also think there's definitely something to be said for the fact that A, old people can be cunts and yeah. B, someone's age difference has nothing to do with whether or not you acknowledge me and deal with me as, as like, a uh, uh, exactly. But when you have found that you, there has been some kind of ideological difference between you and someone you're sleeping with, someone you're dating, whatever it might be, have you changed someone's mind or, or, or had a situation where someone kind of came around to your way of thinking or vice versa, you know, considering so, you're on the, the wrong side of things? You know, <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, I'm inquisitive by nature. I am not wedded or emotionally invested in almost any opinion. I don't care. I just want the data. If you have a position on something that I don't understand, I will always interrogate that. The thing is, on a higher level, there is no way to get to a better future without having these uncomfortable conversations. Absolutely. And I am concerned that there is both an inability and an unwillingness to not only have these conversations, but 
to accept their findings, particularly political conversations, because like the people who are most aggrieved are the people who are benefiting the most from the system. Exactly. Like, what do you do with that kind of cognitive dissonance? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you speak truth to people who don't live in the same reality? What do we do about it? Right. Now, that's a hard no for me. If you open your mouth and say some shit that's just off the wall, not in the reality that like, if you're like on some Trump one type shit, Uh leave me out of it. Yeah. Leave, leave me out of it. Like, yeah, delusion should should typically be a, a red yeah. flag and a, and a hard oh, stop yeah. and hard stop. We shall because honestly, what's a better note to end on than uh, having the reassurance that although Jordan is regrettably a Republican, he at least isn't a Trump supporter or an election denier. So yay for that. And yay for Jordan being on. Uh, Thank you so much to him for coming and chatting with me about really all manner of things. And hopefully we'll have him back on soon to continue the conversation. And speaking of continuing the conversation, definitely want to do that with all of you. So please jump over to the Instagram page for uh, the podcast. It's at the swish pod with two eyes and switch swish. That's T-H-E. S-W-I-I-S-H-P-O-D. I definitely want to hear about any stories that you might have about people that you've maybe dated, people that you've slept with, people that you've been in long-term relationships with. Maybe you're even married to them. I don't know. I want to hear about it uh, if you have had political views that don't necessarily align with one another and kind of what that has looked like. If you feel feel brave enough to share that with the class. So please do come over and chat with us there. Um, if there's any Republicans who want to slide into to our DMs, Jordan's going to be fine with it. And Honestly, I'm sure I'll find a way to be fine with it as well. Either way, (laughs) really looking forward to chatting with y'all. And I will see you in the next one. All right, guys. Bye.